from Freie Universität Berlin, I am Jonas Benz, and this is the Effect and Colonialism podcast. Over many years, Europeans have taken cultural artifacts from the colonies to European museums. Recently, many passionately struggle to give these objects back to their former owners. But this goes far beyond the simple property dispute. Rather, what is at stake here is how to decolonize property and knowledge production itself. Today, we talk with anthropologist Laibor Kalanga Moko about the effects of colonial collections. Laibor, welcome. Um, thank you very much, Jonas. Yeah, so let's get right into this example of your work. So you were a researcher at the University of Dodoma in Tanzania, and in 2019, you went to Berlin to start a research project on a certain group of objects which are related to the Maji Maji War in the early 20th century. So tell us, what, what is this Maji Maji collection all about? Maji Maji War, this is one of the anti-colonial resistance war that was fought in Songea district, but I mean in the southern, southern and southwestern part of the country. And yeah, it was actually the war against German colonialism, which, which took place in 1905 to 1907. And yeah, it is actually the war that also took people's life, but also many collections were also taken and brought to Europe and Berlin, or Ethnological Museum of Berlin in particular. And yeah, so I, I was actually interested to study these collections, uh, at least to reconnect with the communities where these objects were taken and understand their perspectives, affective dynamics or affecting emotions that are associated with these objects being in the museum and uh, other views. And I find this is interesting because, you know, it is also something that is connected to death, you know, it claimed many people's life and also the taking of objects. So yeah, this is actually um, what Majimaji war is in connection to the objects that were brought to Berlin. Yeah, wow, I think it's fascinating that you have the Majimaji war that plays such a big role also in the national history of Tanzania. Well, this is something that most Germans probably would never have heard of. So I think that points already to a difference probably of these debates, how they are led in Tanzania and in Germany, right? And that brings me to my second question, because this journey also became more personal for you when you learned that there also is a Maasai collection in the Berlin Ethnological Museum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually, my focus was on these collections uh, abroad during Maji Maji Wars. But when I was, um, I visited the museum, I was being taken through the list by my supervisor and I came along with uh, some Maasai objects, actually my own community. And uh, it was interesting. It was like, you know, wow, even this is here, you know. And this is a difficult thing because it also depends on what kind of history is framed or is made common. With Maji Maji War, that's very common. I mean, part of the nationalistic struggle for independence. But what I found, actually I found so many collections from my own community, which 
are really very, very important objects in terms of use in rituals, connection to the body of the owners and all this. And I was kind of surprised, like even these are here. And um, yeah, that's actually when I developed some interest also to understand this more. And it is really weird because Maasai colonial encounters is not something that is very well known. And I think this is because they are pastoralists and probably they are so much mobile at even that time. But, you know, coming across these objects and uh, very nature that they are inalienable, uh, I mean, objects that cannot be given away, this actually made me to think about how these objects actually were first acquired, but also uh, brought to Europe. And I, I think there is a lot also to learn, probably in terms of unjust encounters between the Maasai and the colonial collectors or agents. And when you learned that these Maasai collections, these objects are in the Berlin Museum, what did you decide to do? What kind of research decided you to engage in? So after knowing that and the fact that I could not travel because of the onset of Corona crisis, so I decided that, okay, I at least remotely kind of connect with my community because, you know, I have also contacts and I can easily get in touch with people. So I decided to focus on these objects, you know, kind of ask people. And so I was doing a digitally mediated remote ethnographic research to understand the objects in detail but also ask people what do they think and how do they think these objects were acquired and brought to Europe and all these questions of effect uh, and emotion. I was also interested how would other people react the way I also kind of touched by seeing the objects in the museum. So you talk about paying close attention to the emotional reactions people had when being confronted with these objects, but let's start with you. How did you react when you first came in contact with the objects? I think it was unbelievable, actually. It was unbelievable, and uh, indeed, I never thought something like that is there, you know. I had all these history classes at my schooling, but I never read something about whether Maasai uh, had these encounters with colonial agents, which might had resulted to the taking of objects. So it was really, I really felt bad because I felt like something really wrong happened. And this is actually what I find from reading the history about Maasai colonial encounters. And yeah, I wasn't really happy with that. And um, how did people react that you were talking to in your community, in your village? Yeah, the reaction is really also very emotional, I would say. And this is because these objects are in the community are not actually considered like things of the past. People are actually using them in their cultural life, family rituals, religion, even the bodies, you know. And the reaction was that first, they wouldn't clearly think about colonialism in the 19th century or early 20th century, but they were connecting with the stealing during the neoliberalization time. And they can still think of this as something that is taking place. So it, it was emotional. And uh, they 
also thought this, of this as a kind of a epistemic violence to the to the culture. You know, having these very very important objects being somewhere else. I mean, out of the context where they they are used, this is really very bad for them. It's really very bad. So when you say you ask people about these objects and they did not immediately connect them to German colonial times, but to the time of neoliberalization. I assume you refer to the beginning 1980s and the, the changing of the Tanzanian economy into a more free market liberal model in which also the politics of the World Bank played quite a big role. So why do you think people when confronted with this object being in Germany, why were they thinking of the 1980s? Well, um, actually, I'm referring to the 1980s uh, when I say neoliberalization period. And I think they referred to this time because there was a kind of hidden stealing of the object. They could spot some places where these objects were being sold without knowledge of many people, you know. And so they could think of people stealing objects in this time and they could sell at some places that they were also mentioning. And so they actually connect this with the money economy, if, if you like, buying things that are not really supposed to be bought with money or to be exchanged in any way or given away in any way. That sounds as if the people you were talking to were not making a big difference between objects who have been stolen during colonialism or sold during the growing capitalist economy, but were more concerned with them being away. Is that what they were thinking at that moment, you think? Yes, I, I think so, because the problem for them is objects being away, you know, very important cultural objects being away of the context of their use. And this, this was a very big question for them, and this is actually what they are more concerned with. Yeah, as I said also, that they are more concerned with the stomach violence that this may cause. If I understand it correctly, then many Maasai who live in Tanzania today also have to fight discrimination and marginalization inside the Tanzanian nation state, right? So they are also a minority ethnically in Tanzania. Do you think that plays a role on how they experience colonialism, formal colonialism, first by the Germans and the British, and then the period after the end of formal colonialism? Yes, I would say so as well, because I think they are marginalized, and uh, that's why they have also been fighting under this indigeneity. I think this is really, uh, should also be, or need to be understood in a more broad, broader sense. You know, as people who are still also holding their culture, and I think this is what they have actually been using as uh, something that will bring some sense of solidarity and uh, use it as a tool also to survive all this kind of marginalization. So I would say, uh, yes, this, this also relates to the marginalization and the position that I have had since colonial time. That sounds to me as if many people in the community you were talking about 
experience colonialism and the post-colonial time and the extension of the capitalist market economy as something that is a continuum rather than as a break. First there was colonialism, then there was a break, then there is independence, and these are two completely different periods. But it sounds as if, from the perspective of Maasai, this is not really their experience. I mean... The sense of community, unity as a community is still there, although we have the national government and we have all these um, structures actually in place. I would say they, they actually kind of not think of the disconnection between colonialism, nationalism and the post-coloniality. I think this is also relating to the marginalization, you know. Even after independence, they are still kind of facing all these unjust treatment in terms of dispossession of their property, being it even at the national level, I would think that they don't actually think of the disconnection between all these. Yeah, that brings us probably to the beginning of our conversation because you said that the debate on colonial collections and restitutions in Europe today is led a bit one-dimensionally. And I think one dimension uh, that you mention now is also that this is dealt with between governments, right? So the German government and the Tanzanian government, the German government and the government of Benin, they are um, negotiating about restituting objects. But what does that mean um, in, in the case of Maasai, for instance, or also in relation to Maji-Maji objects who, be, who belong to um, communities in the, in the province, on the countryside? As I said, it, it is complicated. Yeah? It's a complex thing. For instance, with the Maasai community, or at least the, my, the community which, where I was doing my research, they actually don't perceive objects as things of the past, given that they are still using them in their everyday life. And so... I, I don't want to demean the process of handling of restitution between governments, but what I would rather say is that this is complex, yeah? And I think there is really a need to bring in the perspective of communities at the local level. And this maybe is, might be different even to other communities, for instance, which have lost these objects, you know, or discarded them, they are no longer using them, probably this would then sound as things of the past that can be relocated into the museum and handled in a way that uh, that's being handled here, in museums here. But I think this is complex, actually. And um, yeah, probably that's why I'm saying it is very important to go down to the, to the people, you know, to the communities of where these things are created, are produced, and get their perspectives. Yeah, if they want the, the, the restitution to be handled in the same process, process that is being done now, that's well. But if they, 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 are, they are thinking of something else, then I think their views are very important. This goes far beyond the politics of anthropological museums, right? So when you describe that these objects play an important role in everyday activities, in ritual activities, uh, are, are used in the community, some of them, 
that would, could also mean that they are not restituted to a museum, right? But that something else should happen. What, what do you think? Yeah, and that's actually what I, I mean, you know? With regards to the collections that I'm, uh, I'm working with, collections from my community, what I find is that objects are very closely connected to the, effectively even connected to the body, you know? Bodies of the previous owners. And it is not something that can be re used in the cultural context, unless, I don't know, maybe cleansing or whatsoever, but this is also something that I have to, I still have to research with the community. But what I just wanted to say is that it is not easy as well, you know, it is something, I would think of it as a, something that really needs a lot of engagement, involvement, and uh, in the process, finding out what actually works, what actually can be done, or what is the best way of doing it, restituting, if they can even re-enter them into the cultural context in their everyday use, then that, that's well. I think this is something that should be decided by the community, in a way. Um, and if they, were, they want to also maybe to place them in a, something like a community museum, maybe that's also well. But I think their position is very important. Their views, their perspectives are very important. That sounds as if this is quite a challenge for the concept of the museum more generally. The idea of generating and also bringing knowledge of other cultures to broader publics, that is what museums are about, right? The idea is to collect things to put them into a space where everybody can go and see them and then academics and scientists provide information for people to understand these objects. And that is the place where the knowledge of other cultures um, or your own culture is generated. But if you think of these collections as so deeply embedded also in the social life of communities, that means also that the museum And the way we produce knowledge or we think about producing knowledge about cultures should radically change. Is that not basically what you're implying? You are very right, I think, because as I said, objects, or I'm calling them objects in the Western way, way of uh, calling them, are really connected to people's life, yeah? It is, um, as I said, effectively connected to people's way of life, culture, the bodies, and all this. And I think that's actually the problem of, with the objects being in the museum, because this reduced them into simple objects that can be manipulated in the way that we want to produce knowledge. Yeah? And uh, I think this is something wrong. This is something wrong, and it does violence to people's culture, to people's lifestyle. Uh, or way of living. Maybe I should also mention this, that the so-called objects are also perceived by the community as uh, subjects, you know, are things that have living forces that gives life to the community. And handling them in that manner, I think that can be scrutinized scientifically to kind of produce knowledge, I think that is wrong. And uh, I think this is also something that the museums need to really think about and overcome in their engagement with the collections. That would also mean that there are very different perspectives on these 
things or objects that are in the museum now, right? So there would be a Western gaze which would see them as things and objects, but there would also be an indigenous conception of seeing them as entities who have a force of their own, who have power, um, agency. That would then mean, if we take this indigenous conception seriously, that this is, this is no property at all, right? This is not something that you can own in a capitalist sense, but something that belongs to you in some other way or um, has a force of its own and has to be taken seriously. Do you think that the European Museum is at the moment at all equipped to do justice to these different conceptions? I, I, I don't think so, because what I find right now is a kind of, for instance, with provenance research, the debate that's following the same thing that restitution is actually following, you know? So we have all these debates at the national levels and international levels, yeah? And the, the, the fact that we are not bringing them down to the community, a lot need to, do, to be done, you know? And thinking about the power relations, you know, how actually do you do it in a way that give the power, the strength to the community to actually unveil all this reality to perceive, for instance, things not as objects, but as life forces, you know, as things that should not be manipulated in knowledge production or in researching them, you know. And yeah, I, and I think this is really a very, a very important thing to address. If we are truly thinking about decolonizing the museum, decolonizing knowledge and decolonizing projects, general. This is really not there and I think we need to decolonize more by making our researches, even provenance of these collections, more of a bottom-up thing, you know, approach than, you know, how we are handling them right now. Naibor, thank you very much. Thank you so much and um, thank you for uh, having me and thank you very much for discussing on my work.